You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Steve. So we just sang a lot about God's love and about God being on our side and God being for us. And now we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, We're going to speak a little bit into the confidence in God's love. Um, As people, we go through a lot of things in life. We go through hardship. We go through loss. We go through indecision. We go through a lot of things every day. And sometimes that can tempt us to question God's love for us. It can tempt us into um, having doubt where there shouldn't be doubt. But because we see things and we deal with things that we feel are hardships and that maybe we don't understand why they're happening, it's easy to try to point the blame in other places and try to say, well, you know, um, if God loves me, then how come blank happened? And you can fill that in, but I hear that so often, right? If God loves us, then how come blank? If God loves us, then how come, you know, I'm not a millionaire, If God loves us, then how come um, there's war? If God loves us, how come there's sickness in the world? Right? There's a lot of things we can point to that make us kind of tempt us to lose confidence in that. Right? And that's not something new. It's something in the early church as well. And in today's passage, Paul's going to speak directly into this. He's going to focus in on us on what it means that God is for us, on what it means that God justifies us. And most importantly, on what it means that God loves us. And what that means through a lens of God, and not just how we look at it as humans. And that's really important. Um, You know, this passage is one of the more well-known passages of the Bible. It's a favorite for many people. Uh, The first song we sang today quoted the passage we're going to look at. right? If God is for us, then who can stand against us? And you would think probably, well, that's a, that's a give me. That's an easy one to teach on Sunday, Steve. Right? But to be honest, sometimes the, more, the most well-known favorite verses are tougher to teach because people have already memorized them in their mind and they already have a thought on what that means to them and how it connects. And so to sit and stand up here and to teach it again can be a little, you're, you're kind of fighting what people have already thought about it in their mind. Um, but more importantly, we need to take, be able to take a look at this passage and say, what can we pull out of it that strikes our heart, that engages our mind, and that calls us to action? So let's look at that together this morning. We're looking at Romans chapter 8, verse 31 through 39. And it says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who's to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. 
No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So as we look at this, we actually open up with Paul asking questions. And it's interesting because the last time I stood here earlier in Romans and preached to you, Paul was asking questions then as well. Right? Paul is a, it's kind of Paul's background. Paul was a very educated man. Paul was also a Roman. He was educated very heavily in, in, within the, Judah, the Jewish church as a Pharisee as well. But as a Roman specifically, a lot of his his philosophy education and the way he rounds about things is he doesn't teach just by putting things out. A lot of times he teaches by asking a question to make people kind of think about it and then answering that question. And we, we saw that when I, when I was preaching from the beginnings of chapter 3, and we see it again here at chapter 8 as we're rounding out this chapter. He does the same thing. He kind of puts some questions out there and then answers them for us. And so with that, we see that Paul's first introduction to this is verses 31 to 32. And he says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So the first thing he starts with is, What then shall we say about these things? Well, it kind of seems like we're jumping in after a list has been given to us. Right? What do we say about these things? What things, Paul? Well, if you recall, and we've mentioned this before, right? Romans is a letter. And initially, Romans was read all together. Right? So they would read through the entire thing of Romans out to a congregation, out to a body, to a fellowship. They'd read it together. So they would remember exactly what all things Paul's talking about. Well, for us, we've split it up so that we can really dig into it. And so it's been a couple weeks since some of these things were hit on. So I figured that what we do is we start off, I'm going to remind you of what some of these things are Paul's talking about, right? And so these things, some of these things that Paul's mentioned, right? Verse 1 of chapter 8 of Romans, Paul said there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. He also taught us in verse 15 that we've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We have a relationship with God. We have a relationship as followers of Christ. We have a relationship with God as his children. He also has told us we're the heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, because we put our faith in Christ who died for us. We actually are heirs to God with Christ. He then taught us in verse 18, the suffering of this present time is not worth comparing to the glory that's waiting for us. The glory that's going to be revealed to us in heaven. In verse 26, he taught us the Spirit helps us in our times of weakness. And these are just a few of the things. We've had a big chapter. Chapter 8 has a lot in it. Uh, but these are just a few things. So Paul is saying, these things... What, what else can we say about these things? How can we look into these things? What do these things mean to us? 
We've hit on these things, so now we're at the end of chapter 8. How do we wrap them up and put them all together? What does this mean for us? Paul responds with that by another question right off the bat. He says, so what do these things all mean? Well, let's look at this. If God can be with us, if God's with us, then who can stand against us? That's his first question. That's a powerful question. If God is on your side, what can stand against that? God's the most powerful being in the universe, the creator of the universe, and he's got your back. That's like when you were a child and you were little and the biggest kid, right? You're in elementary school and you're a kindergartner, but you've got an older brother who's a fifth grader and is like four heads taller than everybody else in your class. Nobody messed around with you because they were afraid your brother was going to intercede. Right? God is the biggest, God's the biggest, toughest guy in the universe. And he has our backs. Now, that's super powerful statement. But it also doesn't mean that you can run around and do whatever you want to do. It doesn't mean, well, nobody can stand against me, so I got a free pass. Right? The worst thing to do if you had a bigger brother was to go and start picking fights because you had a bigger brother. Because at some point, the bigger brother might say, well, you got yourself into it, now you get yourself out of it. And then you could be in a, in, in a lot of pr- trouble. Right? But we don't... Paul kind of goes on to explain to us here, he's, he's, what he's meaning is that He's not saying that because God is for us that we should not be we shouldn't be mindful and aware of our own sinful nature. Or the fact, right, our own sinful nature or the fact that there's the temptation of the enemy. We still need to be aware of those things. It doesn't give us a free pass for anything because God is for us. What he means more so is that because God is for us, there's nothing that can happen in this life that can rob you of what God has in store for you. There's nothing that can happen to us. Nothing can get in between us and the plan God has for us. And while God has individual plans for each of our walk in life, God also has generalized one major plan. And that plan for all of us is for us to be more like his son. And nothing in this world can get in the way of that. Sometimes it might feel like that because bad stuff happens. And you feel like, oh my gosh, this is the end of it. But what Paul's saying is it doesn't matter because at the end, none of, nothing you're ever going to come against can, can get in the way of God's plan for you and God making sure that you fulfill that. Because anything that God has started, he's going to see to the finish. And so there's a certain, there should be a strong confidence in that. And that's what Paul is kind of pointing out to us here when he said, if God is for us, who can stand against us? Nobody can stand against us. And he he even backs that up by saying, you know what? In verse 32, not only is he in our corner, but he sent his only son who suffered, died, and was buried for us. So if God has already given us the greatest gift he could ever give us, he sacrificed his own son for our salvation, Wouldn't he give us other things too? 
Like, if you already got the greatest gift you ever can from somebody, then they're probably willing to give you kind of anything. Right? God gave His Son, who died and was raised so that we could be with God as well. Wouldn't God be willing to give kind of small things too? And He says, of course He would. Right? But that doesn't make God a genie. And this is one of the things that's it's always a pet peeve of mine, right? As some people sometimes think that if they look at something like this passage, they say, well, God gave His only Son. Why didn't He give anything else? That doesn't mean He grants wishes, right? It doesn't mean you can ask anything and God just gives it out. And let me put it into a more humanistic kind of way that we can understand a little bit, right? We call God the Father. We are God's children. We saw here earlier in the chapter 8, we've been adopted into God's children. And we can, we can look at him as father, right? Those of you who are parents in the room, or have had parents, right? You know the whole the situation. But those of you who are parents in the room, right? You give your children food, clothes, shelter, safety. And you probably would die for your kids if they were in danger. You would give them anything they need. God does that for us. But if your child said, you know what, I want to have ice cream sundaes five times a day from now on. That's my new diet. You probably wouldn't go along with that. That doesn't mean you don't love them. You give them way more important things. You give them the things you know they need. But you don't just grant your kids only all wishes. Mainly because in a situation like that, and kind of like God with us, you know that while they might want that really bad, it's bad for them. If, they get, if you give them five ice cream sundaes a day for, from here on out, it's not going to be too many years before major health issues kick in. It's bad for them. And you know that. So we wouldn't just give them everything. God is the same way. God doesn't just give us everything we want. Because God sees the bigger picture and God knows not everything we want is good for us. Just like you would with your kids. Right? If your kid said, well, you know, really I love playing with my friends, so I'm just going to stay out till 1 or 2 in the morning till we get tired and want to fall asleep. Again, not good. You know that there's danger there. You know it's going to mess up their sleep cycle. You know they're going to sleep in school the next day. You know there's a lot of issues there that they don't see when they're kind of pointing out what they want. We're the same way. We don't always see the big picture when we start demanding things we want. But God is a loving parent and someone who has our back and is in our corner gives us the things that we need and that He knows is going to make us grow more like His Son Jesus. And it's the same thing for you. Just because you don't give your kids five sun ice cream sundays a day doesn't mean you don't have their back. Matter of fact, you have their back because you don't give them five Sundays a day. And in that way, God has our back. In that way, God is for us. It doesn't mean He agrees with us all the time. When my wife and I were first married, one of our, you know, every couple has their little things that kind of come around. And anytime that my wife and I would disagree on something, my wife would just say, Be on my side. 
<laughs> okay? This is my wife laughing in the back. My wife would just say, be on my side, right? It didn't mean I didn't love my wife because I didn't agree with her. We had different thoughts on a subject. Being on her side to her meant I just said, okay, and I agreed with her. Well, that's not true, right? I, can, I supported her, I loved her, and I was in her corner for everything. But it didn't mean that I had to agree with exactly what she thought at the time. Being on her side didn't necessarily mean agreeing and giving exactly everything that was, that was desired. And that's the same thing here with God is for us. It's a deeper meaning. It means down to the core of what we need, what's best for us, and down to the truth, God is with us. So Paul then, Paul continues here into our kind of our next point. And Paul says in verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is it to, who, who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And that brings us to my next point. Not only is God for us, God justifies us. What's that mean? Right? Well, he starts off by saying, who can condemn us? Who can put a charge against us? Well, God justifies us. He says, it's God who justifies. What's that mean? God is the ultimate Supreme Court. We think of that a little differently because in our human terms, it means, a bunch of, it means a bunch of humans that sit around and argue until they come to a consensus. Well, God is the Supreme Court of the universe. He is the bottom line. He's the ultimate decision, right? And what does the Supreme Court do? Well, courts hand down decisions. When important things come up, courts make a statement and say, here's, here's the decision. Here's what we believe, and this is what you're going to go by. Right When a Supreme Court hands something down, that's it. Usually the, the original point of the Supreme Court was when the, the, the other branches of government, the legislative and the executive, argued about something or, or, or disagreed. It went to the Supreme Court, who then made the decision. They looked at the Constitution, at the truth of our nation, and said, okay, here's the decision. Well, God gets to look at the truth of the universe and his truth, the only truth that matters, and give a decision on things. And in that, God's given down, he's handed down a decision on us. He's handed down a decision on you. And his decision was you were acquitted. Because Jesus interceded, and because of Jesus' sacrifice and his death and resurrection, you were acquitted. You were not found guilty of your sin. So instead of going to hell, or to jail, right, you get to go to heaven. You're set free. That's really powerful. Because as Paul asks, if God said we're acquitted, who can say you're not? Nobody. If the Supreme Court says you're acquitted and you walk out onto those really famous marble steps that it shows in every movie with the Supreme Court, right? Another court can't walk up and go, you know what, we disagree, and then take you into custody. The highest court has made its decision. There's no questioning it. 
And there's no questioning God. God's made His decision. If you put your faith in His Son, and you give over your life to Jesus, you've been acquitted. End of story. He says, who can condemn us? God ruled on this. And more importantly, Jesus died for it. Jesus died, was raised from the dead to make this happen. Nobody can argue with that. That's the ultimate authority. But where our sinful nature tends to get involved, and this is earlier what I mentioned when Paul talked about our confidence can be tested, our sinful nature starts to get involved and go, well, I know that. Pastor Steve, you've told us this before. God loves us. God's forgiven us. But you know what? I know God's forgiven us, but I need to forgive myself. Well, wait, who's the ultimate authority here? Is it you or God? Because we just said God's the highest court. So if God has said that you're acquitted and you're forgiven because of Jesus, then who are we to keep saying, well, you know what, I need to forgive myself. That's kind of taking power out of God's hands and trying to put it into our own. If the Supreme Court says you're acquitted, you're released, and they take cuffs off you and release you, you can't walk down the steps and go, you know what, that's true, but I still think really that I have to think about this, and I'm going to go back to jail for a while. That's ridiculous. Right? Why would you think that you even have that power or that authority? And it kind of takes away and disregards that decision and that sacrifice that was made for you. God has justified us. No one, including you, gets to rule against that decision. And that's why we should have that strong confidence. Because most of the time, that testing of confidence comes from within ourselves. And I'm going to talk a little bit more on that in my next point in a moment. But um, the last piece he mentions here, we think about these, these pieces of this, this scripture a lot. God's for us who can stand against us, right? God justifies us. We're justified through God. But God follows it up here saying, not only do I, does God justify you, and Paul says, and also, Jesus died for this, to guarantee this. But on top of that, he says, Jesus who died and was raised again, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Not only is God for us, not only has God justified us, but even on top of that, he says here, and Jesus is interceding for us. He's praying for us. Now you put that together with what we learned in the last part of chapter 8, where Paul told us the Holy Spirit strengthens us in our weakness. You've got the Holy Spirit trying to strengthen you and supporting us in our weakness. You have Jesus interceding for us. That's powerful. 
There's a lot of support in that. God's for us. God justifies us. Jesus is interceding for us. The Holy Spirit strengthens us in our weakness. This sounds pretty cool. I'm going to be honest with you. Being a Christian sounds like a charmed life. There's no way to lose. Well, a lot of times we think that, right? Um, some people think, well, you be a Christian, it means that everything happens great to you. There's nothing bad that can ever touch you. You must have all the money you need. You're never sick, right? All these great things happen because you're a Christian. But Paul addresses that too in the next piece, right? And Paul says, as he goes into the next piece, he says in, chapter, in, in verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. It's from Psalm 44. No, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that moves us into our third point, God loves us. And what does that mean? Well, the first thing it means is that just because of all these things doesn't mean you live a perfect, charmed life. And Paul starts by saying, you know, who can separate us from God's love? And he lists these things. Tribulation, distress, persecution, sword. These are all things the early church were dealing with. Quite often, to be honest. Right? It's things that we still see in our lives. So Paul's saying, you're going to deal with these things. You're going to see tribulation. You're going to see persecution. You're going to see trials. Right? Sword, violence. Right? You're going to see all these different things. Sickness, death, loss of loved ones. These things are still going to be around your life, but none of those things can separate you from the love of God. Even when bad stuff might happen, because we live in a fallen, sinful world, none of that can separate you from God's love. So being a Christian doesn't mean living a charmed life. What it does mean is in, in response or regardless of having hardships in your life, regardless of having trauma, of going through bad things, of not having the perfect life you think you should have, of having sickness, loss, death of loved ones, any of that stuff, no matter any of that, God still loves you. And you should be confident in the fact that God loves us, that God is for us, and that God has justified us, even in those tough times. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. So, what does that mean? That nothing can separate us from God's love. God loves us. Is that the same thing as when I tell my, love, my wife, like, oh, I love you, sweetie. I love my wife dearly. Right? And when I tell my wife things like, nothing can be our love. I will love you no matter what. I'll love you if your hair falls out and you lose all your teeth. 
That's probably, that's probably more hopeful for me because the chances of me losing my hair and my teeth are probably a lot more than my wife. So maybe I'm hoping she will love me no matter that, right? But we say things like this, right? God's love is eternal and it's bigger than all of that. We say that a lot, but we don't always follow through. God always follows through. When God says nothing can separate us, he means it. That's a truth. More so than a truth, it's a promise that nothing can get in between that. We would, to be honest, we would do much better if we tried to emulate that more. If we tried to, if, if we tried to emulate that daily in our own relationships, doesn't matter what happens, nothing can stop my love for you. We probably wouldn't be in a nation that faces a 40 to 50 to 50% divorce rate. Because we don't often view our human love as a promise. Sometimes we view it as like a temporary lease. I love you no matter what, as long as we agree. I love you no matter what, as long as you don't annoy me or you don't pick up habits I don't care for. I love you no matter what, as long as you don't make a mistake. And that's because we're human and we're flawed and we're sinful. That's not what love is supposed to be. And God's love is not that way. God's already said, you make all sorts of mistakes, I forgave you. I love you no matter, no matter what. It doesn't matter that you've, you've sinned. Jesus made up for that. I love you so much that even with all of that, we're never going to be separated. We're inseparable. That's quite powerful. Paul's, Paul here is intending to communicate love is so much more. In this life, difficulty, heartache, distress, right? Nothing can frustrate or hinder God's love and plan for you. Nothing you could think of right now. Wait, but what about? Nope. Doesn't matter. Nothing can do that. It's a promise and it's a guarantee from God. It's one of the reasons we really need to be this, right? It's not, it's powerful and it's more than a fluffy hallmark like card that says I love you, right? That you picked up for $2 because you remembered that it was your anniversary or it was Mother's Day, right? It's more than that. It's a guarantee that no matter what, God always loves us. God will never leave us God will never forsake us. That's amazing. You will never find a love anywhere else in this planet like that. Even if you have the best marriage in the world. All right, I have a pretty good marriage. I've been very blessed. Um, my wife and I love to be together. We're best friends. I absolutely, uh, we, we have a very good marriage. I really love being with my wife. But even that, is no comparison to God's love for me and for my wife individually and for us together. When you start to think about that, it blows your mind that God's love is like nothing else that we can put together. We often try to, we refer to God as the Father and we try to look at it as a parental love. Even that holds no candle to the love God has for us. It's us just trying to wrap our human minds around it. 
So if we have such amazing love, and we know God's got us, He's with us, He justifies us, His love is inseparable, then where's the problem come in with us? Well, like most things, the problem's us. The problem comes in because, first off, our sinful nature and the sin within us whispers to us things like, we don't deserve God's love. People have a hard time understanding the concept that God loves you. I've told people that for many, many times. God loves you. You know, God loves you. And people go, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yep. But they really don't get it. Sometimes I started, I started asking people because everyone goes, yep, yeah, yeah. And they almost see it as like a greeting. Like, hey, God loves you. Yeah, okay, thanks, you too. Right? Well, yeah, that's true. Thank you. Um, but more than that, right, sometimes I would, I would ask people, you know, not only does God love you, but do you know God loves you? Do you understand that God loves you? And sometimes when people start to give real, real answers and honest answers to that question, when you dig a little bit, what you find is very often they will say, uh, well, I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know if God loves me. And it's always, no matter who the people are, it's always followed by two words. I don't know that God loves me because I. Because I've done this. Because I've done that. Because I'm not worthy. Because I've done this sin. Because I've... Anything runs the gambit. doesn't matter. But those two words always follow. Because I... Well, that's kind of where part of the issue is here. As people, we interpret everything through the lens of me. Everything's interpreted through the lens of me. What does this mean to me? How does this affect me? Why, why would God do that? I know me. Why do we interpret everything that way? Well, this is the part of the sermon where I insult you. So, people are like, man, Pastor Steve gets up there and then he starts insulting us, right? But it's the truth. We do that because we're self-centered. We're self-centered and we're selfish. And that's, our, that's our sinful nature. So everything goes through this concept of me. Mainly because we think, well, why would God love me? I know me, and I know I'm not worthy. And if you knew me, you'd think that too. Because everything goes through that lens of me. The problem with this is that we need to remind people, and this is going to blow your mind, especially because you have that lens of me on, but God's love has nothing to do with you. You're not even in the equation. The only thing that God's love has to do with you is that you're the recipient. God loves you not because of anything you did and not because of who you are. 
God loves you because of who God is. God loves you because of Jesus. So when you say, because I, that doesn't mean anything. Because that's not the equation. The love doesn't come from that. The love comes from because God is God. God is graceful. God is merciful. So much so that he, he took the sacrifice on himself and his only son to show that love and to show that mercy and that grace. So when we start beating ourselves up and we start questioning, the question is also through that lens of me, which is wrong. All right, if you ever start to think God couldn't love me because of who I am, no, God loves you in spite of who you are. God loves you because of that. More so, God loves you because of Him. And you just have to receive it. That means that there's a lot of things here. First off, it's a reminder that you can't sin your way out of God's love. Remember, nothing can separate you. You can't sin your way out of God's love. That's not a challenge. Okay, that doesn't mean some of you go home and go, hold my water, Pastor Steve. Right? That doesn't, give you the, that doesn't mean you need to try to see if you can, well, I haven't tried everything yet. Right? That's not, that's not the piece. The piece is to remind you, when Paul says that nothing can separate us from God's love, that includes your sin. If you think, I don't deserve it, you're right. You don't deserve God's love. I don't deserve God's love. None of us do. But God still loves you. That's an amazing thing. God is full of grace, and God is full of mercy, and He loves us no matter what, including anything that's going on in your head right now. Jesus paid that debt already, and you can't go back on that. You can't challenge the Supreme Court. You can't undo that. And it doesn't make it different because you think it should be or you don't deserve it. It's a truth of the universe. It's a truth of God's. And that's higher than all of us. And that's what Paul is telling us here. Paul then wraps it up and says, you know what? Nothing, death or life, no way of dying, okay, and nothing that could happen to you during life can separate you from God's love. On top of that, he says, things in the present, things in the future. He, sa he mentions all these things, angels, demons. He mentions all these things that he says, none of these things can. And then he actually ends it by saying, you know what, in case I forgot anything on this list, I'm just going to wrap it up by saying nothing in all creation. So people can't come back and go, well, that wasn't on your list, Paul. He goes, you know what, nothing in all creation so I've covered the gambit now, can separate you from the love of God. When it comes to God and us, to the relationship we have to God through Jesus, we are inseparable. That is amazing. And I've said that a few times this, time, this morning. But you know what? There's a reason for it. First off, if this is the first time you've ever heard this and it's connected to you, and you've gone, oh my gosh, I've never thought of that. 
I've come to church for a long time, but I've never considered the fact that God's love, God, that Jesus died for me, and this is what it means. If it's the first time for you, then there's a path God has for you. There's a response here. And that is, believe in Jesus, get baptized in that order. Bible's very clear, right? You get baptized after you believe because it's a sign that you now have, you're believing. You're telling other people and celebrating with your church family and others in your family that, yes, I've made this decision. I understand this, and I'm going to follow God. Believe and be baptized. And then God will help you to grow to be more like His Son. If, like most of you, you understand this concept, and now you're like, wow, Steve, you kind of highlighted this. Like, this really is amazing. and I, God's love is amazing, and it's beyond my compare. And the fact that God has our back, and that God justifies us, and that God loves us without any way to break that down, that's an amazing blessing we have. But you know what? There's a piece to that too. If you watch superhero movies, right, you've very often probably heard the term, with great power comes great responsibility. Right? Well, I would say that kind of applies to us too as Christians. But I would say with great blessing comes great responsibility or great calling. We have this amazing blessing. God loves us so much. He's going to share eternity with us. We're loved regardless of anything we've done. So now here's the kicker. Here's the part where I'm going to get you. What are you doing with it? You have, your, you have God's love. God's justification. God is for you. What are you doing with it? How are you showing that love to other people? How are you talking about Jesus with other people? And I don't just mean your kids or your wife or your husband. All right? Yes, that's important, but that, it's easy to love your kids. I know that not always, but it is. Right? It's easy to love your kids because your kids and your wife and your husband are familiar, they're familial relations. It's kind of, you're expected to love them. Right? You know them. You live with them all the time. How are you, how, how are you spreading that out? How are you showing love to other people? at work, in the community, in, in your extended family. You have, we have such a blessing that we should also have a calling to share that. Because if it's that awesome, we should be wanting to tell people. When I was in middle school and I got a 98, I'd tell everybody. People on the bus knew, right? People, I'd get home, it was on the refrigerator, right? Because that was awesome. That's nothing compared to this. Why don't we talk about it more? And that, I think, is the challenge that we should leave today with. You should leave today going, oh my goodness, we have a phenomenal blessing from God. And how am I going to follow up with that? How am I going to show that? What am I going to do with it? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for everything you've done for us, Lord. The fact that you never leave us, that you never forsake us, that no matter how stupid I am or how, or how ridiculous, it doesn't matter because you always are for me. You've justified me, and that's written in stone. It's done. And you love me inseparably. 
Nothing I can ever do, Lord, can take that away. And we thank you for that, Lord. We didn't deserve it. I still don't deserve it. Yet you have shown who you are through that act. And Lord, we just ask that you help us to show that to others and to talk to others about you and to help others connect, Lord, and have a relationship with you so that they can share in that blessing as well. We love you, Lord, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.